what's going on everyone this is charming and this is your econ hangover podcast and first of all thank you for listening if you're wondering if i quit doing the podcast it doesn't mean that i've just been extremely busy recently 2020 crazy year uh we just had like a pandemic going on (laughs) since february january february depending on the country you are. And where I'm living right now in Brazil, things started to get kind of more like the lockdown phase and the social distancing thing around in March. But uh, before that, um, prior to like, I think the last episode I recorded was around February or even January. Um, since then I started working, I started a job, a new job, um, and master's going on. And when the pandemic came down, I I thought it was good not to record anything because we're living right in a completely uncertain scenario. So exactly, like it's it's really easy to assume things, to speculate things, either for the positive or the negative side, and <laughs> miss it completely because we are living in times that things are basically changing in some ways radically we can get for example the work relations that we're getting nowadays we're starting to see that some jobs depending on the kind of things that you do like your function it can be performed at home and you don't need to be necessarily uh you know in the office from nine to five just pretending you're doing stuff when you can be back home and producing so we're going to see a lot of changes in relationships um in the economic sphere and a lot of them also in the sociological sphere, but this is not the, the theme of today's show. Today's show, I'm going to talk about something different. I don't want to, I don't make assumptions about how the economy is going to be or, or which kind of recession we're going to be passing through or if the depression is coming or what governments are doing, it's right or wrong, because usually these questions, they have to they come with a lot of different variables, a lot of different point of views, and it can get a little bit too complex for me to cover here in a podcast show. So I don't want to contemplate much on that. And also, I, I, I don't like to say what should be done when I'm not doing anything to help because like, I think it's extremely easy to, especially people like me, like economists or analysts, to, to say what is supposed to be done and not be doing anything. So it's, it, it gets more in the fantastical sphere than the practical one. And although these discussions are important, society should be contemplating this. Like, um, unfortunately, it's not my job to do this. And it's not also my, my position to be moralizing of what shouldn't and what should be done especially in a podcast show. So here I'm not talking about politics here. I'm just trying to um, look at the economy or markets or you know, financial institutions through a third-party view. And that's what exactly I want to talk about, a really interesting thing that's happening nowadays because we've seen how the stock markets uh, behaved crazy through the beginning of the pandemic. We saw like all these uh, you know, big drops and the S&P 500 and all the major, uh, 
you know, like uh, stock exchanges throughout the world. We had like a historical event around May, right? Like we have like huge drops that weren't seen since since 1987. And we had like pretty much like start stock market crashes that didn't happen since the Great Depression. And it was really curious to see this. And it was completely normal to understand why investors and traders were freaking out about this because, you know, things change out of nowhere. Like, like it was almost overnight, like before, like the economy was just like functioning normally, you know, people going to their day jobs, especially factories, people going to factories normally, then out of nowhere, like, boom, it came down a pandemic and we have to distance ourselves and work has to, work has to be revalued and companies are crazy because no consumption is going on. So they have to cut costs and lay off people and stuff. And it's only natural that we had these big swings in financial markets and all of that. But the interesting thing that we also saw is because around April, late April, things started to kind of stabilizing um, in a more emotional level, like markets started to, to have a little bit more optimism with like uh, future therapies and uh, the possibility of vaccine coming up in the in the next I don't know twelve to eighteen months or something like that, and we started to see like a little bit more of ease in the financial markets, and we even started to see uh, indexes like the S and P five hundred just like uh, starting to show green green numbers and started to have gains and closing days with like record highs and stuff like that. But the cool fact about this is because the VIX index, the volatility, the, the volatility index still high. And I actually wrote an article for this for the, for the university study as a master's student about how like the, the VIX still high, even though the, the markets are like kind of like gaining. So this means that if the VIX is high, and the VIX still in high standards, like still like around 30, 30s or 40s sometimes. And if the VIX is high, that means that some of like the market sentiment is still uncertain about the future, even though if like some kind of like hope it's coming up. So if like this quote unquote hope is coming up and the VIX is high, what this means, it means that practically there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more of uncertainty in markets to happen, and we're far from having a stabilized financial markets scenario. We're actually in the bridge of like anything can happen, either for the good side or the bad. That's that's the hard thing about financial markets. It can just not bet sometimes that the best is gonna happen, the worst is gonna happen. You have to stay vigilante and uh, just like follow things and try to be more the more realistic as possible you can and you know strategize upon that i'm not preaching about what kind of strategy you have to do but i just say this is like a general observation so uh, talking about econ terms like yeah most of the countries yeah they suffer through this man this first quarter second quarter of 2020 were terrible i, I never experienced like uh something like this watching something like this and working on something like this. Like I've worked in the past when Brazil was going through a economic crisis back in 2015 and 2016, but it was something that was just happening in my country. Like 
the rest of the world was kind of stable. Even though, like, the Brexit happened, too, and stuff like that. But, I mean, in a general term, like, the rest of the world was kind of, like, not much was going on. But this time, I was, like, super impressed because, like, it was, like, not only my country sinking, but, like, every other country sinking, especially the developed countries. Like, we saw it happen. Like, the U.S. GDP went down. Uh, France GDP went down by 5.8%, and the U.K. by 2%. And... <laughs> A lot of people asking for for uh, unemployment benefits in the United States and things going nuts. And But the interesting thing is that the, all of this is going on and also like we can understand like in the real economy. So like you don't need to be an economist to understand this. Like if people are staying home, it means that they're consuming less. So if you have your own business, it means you're not selling, you're not, not creating cash flow for your business and things are going really bad, especially in some kind of businesses that you actually need to have uh, the one-on-one contact with your clients, like live contact, I mean, but still, like, if all of this is happening and people are, like, losing jobs and businesses are, like, failing and, like, some industries, like the, the airline sector, they're, like, filing for bankruptcy and having to be rescued by, by governments. So why, like, stock markets are still going, like, they're still gaining, they're still overvalued? And a lot of this comes down to psychology. Because investors just, they're like people like us. Like, they're people, they're just like, they just have, like, maybe some of them invest full-time. This is their entire job. Or some of them, they invest, like, part-time or as a hobby or something like that. But they're still people like us and they have expectations and they function like us. And the interesting things that we've been seeing, like I've been checking Tesla a lot lately. And Tesla stock started like, you know, ever since, uh, you know, around April or something, they start gaining a lot. They start like um, having highs. Of course, variation can be kind of like radical sometimes. But like, I mean, they've been gaining like, having like some some kind of good precipitations and what is going on i mean <laughs> why tesla stocks are like behaving like this and also even if we like evaluate through the qualitative perspective like elon musk ha- has been kind of controversial through all this pandemic he says he had a lot of like strong opinions and this kind of stuff can be fuzzy for investor relations but still, like Tesla stocks are sometimes they're they're behaving quite well, and a lot has come from like their their the psychology of their investors. You know, like the psychology of their investors. Like some of the investors of Tesla, they're extremely loyal, they're extremely uh, into the company, they're extremely into Elon Musk's ambitious plans, and they just think that Tesla is the kind of company that will bounce back from this stronger than ever. So they just, they're just like hoping, you know, like they're just going forward. Of course, I'm oversimplifying, like there's a lot of things, but that's an interesting example. Like Tesla deserves their own kind of study because it's kind of an interesting company to, to evaluate if you're into finance because like they're constantly in debt, they're constantly with like a lot of like, their financials are fuzzy, but they're kind of extreme. Once, once they release something like they get really high and and they have like all this kind of a revolution kind of thing so um 
what I can notice from observation is that like uh, Tesla investors, they're really into this uh, kind of like extreme, extreme dynamic of like low lows and high highs, you know what I mean? And another interesting example we also saw, we've been, I've been like checking it out lately, it's Chipotle. And Chipotle also had been doing quite well despite all this uh, thing going on, like uh, because we have to understand that this, this whole pandemic scenario, it's terrible for especially restaurant businesses and fast food because it's something that you usually uh, go there and, and grab your meal and sit down and nowadays they had to cut down this kind of services for obvious reasons, but and they had to just focus on delivery and drive-through, and that's a cut. Unfortunately, that's a cut off revenue coming up for these companies, but Chipotle is still going up despite everything going. And the interesting thing is that if you check their financials, <laughs> they're actually they're not doing so good. You know, like they're not doing that good compared to to their um to their stock price which is crazy like they have like they had uh a little bit of uh downturns in their operation costs and revenue coming in and but their stock is behaving well and what what is, what, what is going on with this you know and the thing is that chipotle also have a, a similar kind of perspective for the and with the investors of Tesla, like normally the investors of Chipotle, they're betting on the on the possibility of this business model, you know, surviving after the pandemic. And they're also betting for the fact that like, you know, like some people just prefer Chipotle more than McDonald's or something or or Burger King because they think it's more fancy, the food is better, the quality is better. So even if they're stuck at home, they're gonna order Chipotle. You know, so it's like it's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, Chipotle had a 16% drop in sales actually in March. And I, I just giving like the numbers because I just mentioned like kind of like out loud. And they also had a, a 35% downturn in their revenues, uh, operational revenues also in that month. So, I mean, yeah, like the, the, the numbers are saying something differently in the financials compared to the stock price. So it's very relative. And but how do we explain the psychological patterns going on with investors? It's I mean, it's it's easy to do this affirmation through a podcast and through like the way that we're talking out there, like to to have a more robust analysis, we need a proper study, maybe an academic study to, to back this up, but you're just talking kind of like economics casually or something. So I would just say this like kind of like out loud. So what's going on first is that a lot of biases are going on in stock markets. And one of them is excess of confidence. And this excess of confidence bias is just like, it's something that you don't need to be an investor to understand. Maybe if you practice sports when you're like younger or something, you're like, you ever notice like that there's like this kid for example, play like, uh, no, uh, pick up basketball or pick up soccer. Like, there's always a kid that thinks he's the best, and maybe he's like kind of average. He's like an okayish player, but he thinks he's like 
the Cristiano Ronaldo or something, <laughs> Michael Jordan, when you guys are playing, and you think, like, and you see that, and he taps this like, huge ego on him. Uh, and this is an excess of confidence bias. It just actually happens a lot in real life. And this guy, James Bond here, which he has a really interesting study, he showed in, in 2006, he did this survey with, like, you know, like, uh, fund managers and stuff. Like, he interviewed, like, a bunch of them. And he noticed that 74, 74 sorry, 74% of the managers, they considered that their investing abilities are above average, while only 26% considered that their investing abilities are below average. And what's going on practically with like these investors that are betting in the, in the possible hope of like stock markets getting back to normal in these companies kicking ass soon, they have an excess of confidence bias. And inside this theory, there's like four different sub-rankings, sorry, sub-categories, which is over-ranking, illusion of control, optimism about time, and um, how can I say, desirable effect. So uh, practically what's going on here is that they have a little bit of over-ranking, which means that Sometimes as investors, they believe that their skills are better than they actually are. Like, oh, like, I invest in Tesla. I'm a good investor. The pandemic means nothing. I can do it, you know. <laughs> Illusion of control, which is it's pretty self-explanatory, the name, what's going on. Uh, it's when you believe you have control of an external situation, but you don't have. And when you notice, like, you're just getting, you fall flat on your face on the floor <laughs> until you have to, like, by force, uh, just admit like, okay, that I was not good enough for that situation, you know? And the other one is the desirable effects. It's just like, it's when you're like basically stubborn. You just, despite like all the odds against you, everything, it's not working out for you. And you just, so you just keep going. You shouldn't like confuse this with resilience. It's more like stubbornness. It's just like when you're, like, just underestimate, you know, like, just underestimate an event, and you think just because you're really good, you can, you, or just because you think that your preferences are more important than the, the external scenarios, things are going to work out for you when, mad they don't. And these are devices that are kind of, like, happening from what I can observe um, with some investors, and this can be a way to help to understand why stock markets are overvalued, even though we're going through a pretty adverse economic time and really uncertain times of what's going on. And also a really interesting thing, theory that helps to understand a little bit of this, it's uh, Keynes' uh, beauty contest. It's something he wrote in the theory, uh, general theory book, you know, like and he said, like he used this, um, Use this analysis that was done by a journal at the time that they had to like choose like hundred different pretty women's pictures from the from the journal and everyone just ended up choosing the girls that were considered the prettiest by you know social and cultural norms and this happens a lot in stock markets too because um, investors normally look for blue chip companies. And one of them is Chipotle. 
You know, and Chipotle, is, it's considered a blue chip company. It's considered like, hey, if I have this in my portfolio, it means that I'll be a winner. So sometimes they they just invest that. They put that in their, their portfolio just because of their their notion that if I have this winner stock, quote unquote, despite, despite what's going on in the economy, I'm going to be a winner. And not, that's not all the case because investing is extremely relative. There's like... There's a lot of variables that play into the game that are going to affect the performance of your portfolio. And it depends on a lot of things, not just the stock market's things going on, like volatility and, you know, like precipitation. It depends on how the companies are doing financially. It depends how the economic conjuncture it's um, in your in your country and outside your country is working and all the crazy differences variations of behavior patterns of consumers and all this crazy stuff <laughs> well what i'm gonna do for you guys because i feel that sometimes talking about these theories can be a little bit too simplistic in the podcast so like in the way i'm talking here it's basically as if we're in the bar and we're just like uh you know just chatting and i'm telling you all these cool facts so i'll do it like this guys um I will put the links for these theories so you guys can check it out in the comfort of your houses, you know, like whenever you want. And it, it's always better for you guys to come up with your own conclusions. But it's a really interesting time despite all the negativity going on, a lot of things going on. But if you are an econ student, especially, uh, but even if you're an econ enthusiast or professional, it's a really interesting time to be gaining knowledge especially to shifting your paradigms and, you know, practically trying to think, see things more for what they are in reality instead of just relying too much on the, in the books and the theories. Because I think the COVID-19 whole thing came up in the world to kind of like shift paradigms in a radical way for some people, of course. I don't think it's going to have a... Uh, crazy um, human human revolution over that. Of course, like a lot of things are going to change, but I think for some people, this is a real good time for for paradigm shifts, for looking at things differently, looking at things through a different perspective. Not only the economy, but with yourself. I know that like these past weeks, being locked up in the house, have been changing a lot of my what my views. A lot of the ways that I look through the economy and it's been kind of frustrating too, but also a really humbling experience to grow as a professional and to uh, try not to make assumptions so lightly and always be skeptical of what uh, what happens outside of our control. All right, guys, if you just sat through this, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this again, back from hiatus. Um, I'm real glad that I was able to record this episode again. Um, I don't know when the next one is coming, maybe two weeks from now, maybe next week. Uh, let's see how my times you're doing. But I felt that I had to say something at least through these times. And also, I was waiting a bit to things ease down to don't make any kind of radical assumption or any kind of um, crazy speculation. And while the COVID-19 thing's going on, I'll, I will honestly avoid 
trying to talk about topics about political economy, monetary policy, fiscal policy, even though those are topics I like, those are topics that are extremely important now, but I think it's just also extremely risky for me to come up with an assumption, to come up with an opinion and miss terribly. Because honestly, like, if our world leaders are, are pretty lost on all of this, what, what can a guy like me come up and do it and say, or like, uh, or another economist, or, I mean, to fix this? I think it's easy to just say. I, I, it's easy to talk, but it's different, it's different to act. So I will avoid talking about these things here with you guys. I'll focus more on markets and stuff like that. And thank you very much. Well, if you guys are liking the Econ Hangover podcast, please subscribe in your in your Spotify and check my blog. Give us a like. And that's what I'm talking about, guys. It's so good to be back. See ya.